Welcome back to another edition of the talk show, the 36th edition and episode of the talk show. It's a full NBA playoff episode. Uh, I broke down each of the eight series and some predictions that I might have for these NBA playoffs. It should be really fun as we already underway Sunday today in the NBA playoffs. I also threw in an addendum at the end to my previous podcast about baseball. If you didn't listen to that, go back and listen. If you're looking just for that, stick around and listen to the great NBA talk and then you could hear it or you could skip to the end and do it that way. All that is coming up next. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's another edition of The Talk Show, episode 36, NBA Playoffs edition. It's Playoff Sunday today. We're already four games in to the NBA Playoffs in 2021. We're about to be five as Washington and Philly are set to get underway in about 20 minutes. So the reason I'm recording today and not before the playoffs is I was waiting for the last seed to see who would get in from the West between the Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies, which I loved. I loved the playing games. Um, And we'll get to that in a second. And obviously, I can't record on Friday night or Saturday because of Shabbos. So I waited to see last night's games. And now this is kind of my NBA playoff preview with a little bit of a hint into four of the eight series. So that's what's going on now. So I'm going to get into all of it. But since I mentioned the Warriors and Memphis and the, that play-in game, I just started, got to start with this. It's a real shame that the Warriors are not in the playoffs. John Morant went nuts and they deserve to be in. And good for them. And I'll get to them a little later. But Steph Curry having to carry this team on his back and put up 30, 40, 50, 60 even points every night in a series would have been so much fun. I thought the Lakers defended him excellently in the first plan game. Um, But to me, the Warriors lost that game. And that's where they got knocked out of the playoffs because they had that game. They're up a dozen in the third quarter. And then they just started turning the ball over, giving up layups in transition, playing sloppy on both sides of the ball. When the Lakers were really struggling, they let them back into that game. Then, of course, LeBron hits that just absurd three. And that's where we stand now. So tough, tough for an NBA fan that we don't get to see Steph Curry, but they didn't earn it. Um, That team wasn't good enough. And John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies were. They were the better team. As far as the other playing games, I mean... The Wizards showed they're inconsistent. Boston, I guess they're also inconsistent. Indiana won big in the first game, then lost big to the Wizards. Overall, it was fun. It was intense basketball. It was a game seven every time. Even for the teams that were losing in round one, it just felt like a game seven. So that's a, that's a good sign. It's fun. A couple of things I did notice in the play-in tournament, though, that I'm going to talk about. And this is the first one is LeBron James and the LA Lakers. They never stop complaining. And here's my problem with it. I I don't mind. I don't mind seeing LeBron complain on every single play. I mean, when he doesn't get touched, sometimes he's grabbing his head. And I know he got hit in the eye on that one play, but there are plays where he doesn't even get touched and he's like grabbing his face or grabbing his arm or grabbing something. Every time AD goes down, he's screaming, 
Frank Vogel, the head coach, they're always, always complaining. And you know what bothers me the most about it? It works. So yeah, it's an issue. It's an issue that they're complaining all the time and it makes the game like hard to watch. I tweeted that out and I got a lot of backlash for it that LeBron is becoming hard to watch because of how much he complains. But he's smart. He's a smart NBA player. He always has been. He's always seen you know, the trends of the game, what works, what doesn't. Complaining in the NBA works today. If you complain about a call, even if they got the call right, you're going to get the next call. The NBA officials have been very poor, and hopefully they can pick it up in these series where they have a chance in between games to look back and work on different things if it's the same crew. And you see it the most on the last touch out of bounds. Some of them are just so off, and you don't want them to review every single one. But some of them, somebody's just got to be there and be like, guys, that was not even close. I mean, it was totally one team who hit it out of bounds, and the other guy didn't. You know, every single time a ball goes out of bounds, it feels like the ref is just throwing up. They have no idea. And that's tough to watch. And if you complain about it, then the next time it goes out of bounds, even if it's off you, you're probably going to get the ball. Nate McMillan knows this also. He's the guy who took over as the Atlanta Hawks head coach. And trust me, I'm going to get to that series a little bit later as a Knicks fan. I'm a huge Knicks fan. Everyone knows that. And he came out and said, it's great for the league that the Knicks are in the playoffs. I wonder how the officiating is going to affect that. Meaning what he's trying to say is that because they're great, it's great for the league that the Knicks are in the playoffs. He thinks that the officials are going to try and keep the Knicks in the playoffs and give them calls. Now, if you watch the Knicks all year like I did, they didn't get any calls because they didn't have the superstar on the team. Now they're starting to get recognized. But Nate McMillan complaining about that. People were talking about, should he get a fine? Should he not get a fine? He's smart. He's getting out ahead of it. Now he's going to get a lot of calls go his way because refs are going to be thinking, oh, I don't know. Are we, are we favoring the Knicks? Are we not favoring the Knicks? We don't want to come off as we are favoring the Knicks. And that's not a good thing because one thing that I did think was an advantage for the Knicks in the series was... Trey Young is always flopping. He's never even looking to score. He's just flopping all over the place. I thought in the playoffs, they weren't going to give him some of those foul calls. So I thought that was a good thing for the Knicks. I thought that was a positive, something that they can actually um, take with them into this series and be like, okay, we can play tough D on Trey, make him actually score, make him actually draw fouls and not flop because in the playoffs, they usually ref that harder. We've seen that with James Harden in a bunch of years. But if Nate McMillan is coming out and saying, oh, we don't want the Knicks to get extra calls, then maybe Trey Young does get some of those calls. So that's a little bit frustrating as a Knicks fan. Overall, so exciting. The playoffs are so much fun. In the Eastern Conference, the two favorites won um, on Saturday. And in the Western Conference, the two, I guess, not favorites won. And we'll get into all those series one by one. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through the series, start with the East, then the West. We'll run through every series and break it down just a little bit. And then I'll throw out some predictions at the end. Um, so that's what this episode is going to be and stick right here to kick it off. I'm going to run through the Eastern conference playoffs and the picture, how it looks now and the different series is starting with the heat and the bucks who are already one game in. We saw a great overtime game where the bucks beat the heat. And here's what I got to say about this game. First of all, the X factor in this series and the X factor, not even in this series, but on this team which is the Bucks is Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton, in my opinion, is the best player on that team. And people say, oh, you're crazy. Well, no, he's your best scorer. He's your best shot maker. He's your best guy to run the offense through because he's such a threat to score. Late in games, late, sh- late in shot clocks, th- that's the guy I want to have. That's the guy Miami needs to focus on stopping. 
if you send Giannis to the free throw line every time, all right, he'll hit 50% of the free throws. But Middleton is a sniper from outside, can shoot off the dribble, catch and shoot, drive, everything. He does everything for you. And he is the key to this team. If this team can go on a deep playoff run and not get knocked out like they did last year against Miami, he's going to be the X factor. He's going to be the guy that makes a difference for them. Another thing to look at at this series is it's going to be a physical battle. Miami is always a tough matchup. I know as a Knicks fan, I wanted to stay away from them. They play physically. And the Bucs are the same way. Good, tough, defensive teams. They're going to beat each other up in this series. If you're the Brooklyn Nets watching that, you're just sitting back. You're like, oh, God, would we get them by the time we get them? Should the Nets take care of the Celtics? Which I think they should. They're going to be like, dead. <laughs> I mean, they're going to be so tired, whether it's the Bucks or the Heat, just from having to play that tough series, especially if it goes longer than five games, which I think it will. So whatever happens in this series, I think it benefits the Brooklyn Nets. But the series overall, it's going to be a fun battle, fun to watch. I do think ultimately this Bucks team is better than they were last year. And this Heat team is just not as gelled as they were last year. The Heat trying to get real minutes out of guys like Trevor Ariza and Andre Iguodala is kind of hard. Those are two guys who, great players, very smart, but their game relies on being tough and physical. And to get 30 minutes a game from each of them is a big ask. And I think the Bucks will take the series in six or seven games. It could go to seven. I think Bucks in six. If it went to seven, I would not be shocked. Either way, it's going to be a fun NBA intense playoff series. Next up is the Nets and the Celtics. First of all, as a Knicks fan, I can laugh at this because if the Knicks stunk, I probably wouldn't be laughing at this. I'd probably kind of just mind my own thing. But the Knicks are great. They sold out sold out 15,000 seats at the Garden in about 20 minutes. Meanwhile, the Nets are offering 50% off all tickets with promo codes from James Harden, promo codes from the Nets, and they lowered the tickets to 50 bucks as it is. So it's not like the tickets are super expensive. Garden tickets are like minimum $300 and if you're not vaccinated, you got to pay way more than that because there's so few non-vaccinated seats. So it's kind of funny, but at the end of the day, the Nets are so good. Watching them last night, when they had the lineup on the floor of KD, Kyrie, Harden, Harris, and Green, I mean, that lineup is insane. And watching the way they move the ball, eventually they get a corner three from Green, which great D by Boston. That's the shot you want to give up, I guess, with those guys on the floor. But it doesn't matter. He's wide open from the corner and he knocked it down. When those guys are out on the floor, specifically the four, which are Harris and Harden and Kyrie and KD, obviously, they're almost impossible to stop. And I kind of think if the Knicks did stink this year, I wouldn't even hate the Nets this much because they just be so enjoyable for me to watch. And I hate to admit it. I'm a huge James Harden guy. I always have been. I've talked about that on the podcast. I hate what he did to get out of Houston. But I think he's so good. And I think them the load not being on his shoulders, like you didn't see the load on his shoulders in this playoff game against Boston like we've seen in the past. That load off his shoulders, he's going to have an insane playoffs. And 
they might just run to the championship because of how much talent they have. The Celtics is are they're really interesting. I think they have talent, and I think the Nets are kind of weak-minded, so I want to see what happens when the series shifts to Boston. But the Celtics are the least clutch team ever. You need a big bucket, a big stop. They just can't seem to get it. And it's going to be interesting to see if they could hang at all with these Celtics, with these Nets. I'm sorry. I think the Celtics can get maybe a game three or four in Boston. Maybe they'll win. But I think the series goes no more than five. And I think the Nets are taking it. Sixers and Wizards. The Wizards have no idea they are the underdog in this series. The Wizards are coming into this series thinking they are the team to beat. It's just the way these guys are wired. Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook thinks he's the league MVP, thinks he's the best player in the league. And if anything, those two playing games prove this, that he's anything but that. Listen, the guy plays hard. I, always, I talked about that on last episode. I love the way he plays the game. I have so much respect for him. He has zero basketball IQ. And he's been around for a while. It's not like he's all of a sudden going to get a feel for the game. He doesn't have that feel for the game that some of these players have. And that really hurts him. I kind of wish Brett Brown was coaching for the Sixers. Because if we had Scott Brooks versus Brett Brown, then it would actually be a, a long series. That would probably go seven games because of how bad those two coaches are. I don't understand how Scott Brooks keeps getting jobs in the NBA. One thing that I thought of was considering how poorly the Wizards started this year and with all the trade rumors swirling, the fact that he kept them in it and he righted the ship to the point that they reached the playoffs is impressive. So maybe his off-the-court stuff galvanizing the team is great. I don't know. But the -the on-the-court stuff, his adjustments that he doesn't make, him just not telling, just even telling Russ to back off, let Beal run the offense at certain points in the game. It sometimes seems like he has no idea what's going on on the court. And the same goes for Brett Brown, but it's not Brett, Brett Brown. It's Doc Rivers. They should sweep or win in five. And this is another team that should be well-rested going into the second round for a series that's going to be a dogfight between the Knicks and the Hawks. And the Sixers are going to have a heavy advantage coming off of Washington going into the second round. That brings me to Knicks and Hawks. Everyone knows I'm a Knicks fan. And all year, I've been cautiously optimistic. All year, I said, whatever happens, it's just a positive. The way they played, the culture they built, Tibbs, Julius, RJ's development, anything that comes of it is a positive. The fact that this team went from being one of the four worst teams in the NBA in NBA to a top four team in the Eastern Conference is remarkable. The fact that they have home court advantage, that there's a game being played at Madison Square Garden tonight, there's going to be 15,000 fans in there screaming their heads off, going absolutely nuts, is one of the most fun things that's happened in my sport fandom. I'm just going to enjoy every step of it. Just over a year ago, I was in the building and I watched Spike Lee throwing a temper tantrum on the sideline because they didn't let him use a certain entrance or elevator. I mean, look how far we've come as the Knicks. Here's a few things, though. 
a lot of Nick fans are talking about, you know, we were three and zero against Denver this year. Denver was not whole. They were not complete. They were not healthy during those games. In each of those games, there were guys missing. I already talked about Trey Young and his fouls, Nate McMillan, all that. We'll see where that heads. But if you look at records in the NBA since April 1st, the best team was Denver. The next two teams were 17 and 7. That's the Knicks and the Hawks. Both teams are hot since April 1st. The one thing I'm worried about with the Knicks is who's going to score for them? Are they going to score enough? I mean, who's going to step up to be that scorer? Is it going to be Rose? Is it going to be Burks? Maybe quickly. I think it's going to have to be a different guy every night, but it's going to be have to have to be someone other than Julius Randle carrying the load. The Hawks score a ton. So that's where I'm cautiously optimistic. I think the Knicks can win this series. I'm not sure if they will. But like I said, just enjoy it as a Knicks fan. I mean, in all my years of fandom, I've been following sports for 20 years. And I don't remember a team that is so much fun to root for like this team. Where the expectations were, the way they play, the way they play together and for each other, the heart they show every night. I've never enjoyed a season more than I've enjoyed Nick, this Knicks season. And I know my father's listening. The fact that I've gotten to enjoy it with him and talk to him about it, because like he said on the podcast a couple weeks ago, the last sport that he still really cares about is basketball and the Knicks. And the fact that we've gotten to have this season together, just talking about it, although he makes fun of me sometimes <laughs> that I'm talking too much about it. But the fact that we've gotten to share that, the fact that this season has been the way it's gone and the life lessons we could take out of it, like I wrote in an article on LinkedIn. You can go check that out. It's awesome. All that stuff is so great. And I'm not taking it for granted. I think this series will go six or seven games. I It's a coin toss to me, so I'm not going to make a prediction. I don't want to jinx it if I pick the Knicks. <sighs> I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so if I told you the Hawks law, we're, we're going to win it. But then be like, well, I told you the Hawks were going to win it, but I'm happy the Knicks won. So I really don't know. I think it's going to go six or seven games. And I'm just going to try and enjoy it as much as I possibly can. I know tonight watching the game, I'm going to be stressed. I'm going to be pissed unless it's a Knicks blowout. If it's a Hawks blowout, I'll be pissed. If it's a close game, I'm going to be anxious. But that's part of being a fan. And I haven't had that in the NBA, that anxious feeling of just really rooting like that in eight years. So I'm really going to enjoy it. That's all in the Eastern Conference. I'm going to come back in a minute with the Western Conference. Today's episode is brought to you by Real Sleep. The pandemic has had a tremendous impact on sleep, insomnia, and anxiety. This is actually Mental Health Awareness Month in May. And if you're suffering from sleep issues like half the world is, our sponsor, Real Sleep, has developed the world's first personalized sleep solution customized to you. Unlike prescription and over-the-counter sleep aids, their plant-based formula works with your body to get you to sleep faster, help you sleep deeper, and cut down on sleep disturbances. I actually have a very hard time falling asleep. I just, my mind kind of runs and it's all over the place. And I use this to help my mind just settle down, calm me down and get to sleep faster and stay asleep longer and feel more rested when I wake up. So while sleep is solitary, you're not alone. And Real Sleep is here to help. That's why we're teaming up with Real Sleep to give you 20% off your next purchase. Just go to the the link in our show notes. That's uh, the little notes about the episode. And use the code POD, that's P-O-D, to see why Real Sleep is the last sleep product you'll ever need. Western Conference playoffs. Let's start with Denver and Portland. I'm absolutely shocked 
that the Trailblazers won game one. I kept waiting for Denver to just pull away, but Portland kept hanging around, hanging around. And then all of a sudden, like that, the game flipped. And it was Denver who was trying to hang with them. And eventually Portland won. We've seen the Blazers at random points during this season go on stretches of runs that are incredible, obviously with Dame Lillard. And then he got hurt. And CJ McCollum was out when Dame was going on a run. Nurkic was out a lot of the year. Is it possible that if this team is healthy, they're way better than we think? I think that's a possibility. I mean, I don't think, and this is experts saying this, not me. I heard Bill Simmons, Ryan Rosillo talking about this. They didn't think Nurkic was right all year. They didn't think McCollum was right all year. But if they're right now and they're at 95% or 100% of what they could be and Dame's 100%, then maybe this team is a really tough team to beat. What Melo did last night, just in that first quarter where he hits those four threes and then the fifth three to start the second quarter was awesome. Him banging against his head as the crowd's booing him was just awesome. I I love that. I love Melo. I was sitting there thinking, damn, we could use this scoring in the Knicks game. Um, like I talked about, uh, the, my only fear with the Knicks is that they might get outscored. So that was fun to see, especially in Denver where he started his career. It's tough for for uh, Portland. There's a lot of pressure on this series. In my opinion, if they go down you know, quietly at this point, it would be five games. But even in six games, if they lose in this first round to Denver... I think they might blow the team up. I think some guys get traded. I think the head coach gets fired. I think a lot of stuff could happen. So there's a lot of pressure on them, I think, to win this series. As far as Denver is concerned, well, we know Jokic is one of the best players in the NBA, and he was the best player this year. But is that enough? How much are they going to miss Jamal? Jamal Murray was a big part of this team in the bubble. We saw that. I mean. Can Compazzo and MPJ step it up? Michael Porter, since Jamal Murray went down, is the biggest storyline. I thought that was going to be the centerpiece guy in a James Harden trade. And Harden and Jokic would have been so much fun to watch, especially if Jamal Murray was healthy. But now, MPJ is a real part of this team. Forget about that it didn't happen, which is just ridiculous on both sides because... Harden there would have been so much fun for the league. The Nets not having a third superstar would have been fun for the Eastern Conference. The fact that MPJ is the best thing that Houston could have gotten, and they ended up, they got nothing. They got absolutely nothing for James Harden, if you think about it, other than a bunch of question marks and draft picks. So that's crazy. I don't think Jokic is going to struggle the way he did last night. And if you think I'm crazy when I say the word struggle, he had his season low in assists in game one. He had one assist. His, he had a couple of games where he played only a very few minutes this year. We had two assists. This is his new season low. We know in close games what Damian Lillard's going to do. Down the stretch, Dame time, he's going to go off. Denver's got to find a way to score more. They got to find a way to score enough that the games are not close. Do they have enough options after Nikola Jokic for scoring? I still think Denver will win this series, but a series that I thought might be a sweep is now looking more like a six or seven game series. The Lakers and the Suns. I feel so terrible for the Suns. 
they're the surprise team. Everyone loves them. Everyone's saying how great Chris Paul is and how he turned the team around. And I think a lot of it was guys coming into their own. Obviously, Booker, Aiton, those guys. So it sucks that in the first round, because the Lakers just basically sat out the second half of the season, they have to play the Lakers. And sadly, it looks like their great season is going to be over. I say Lakers in five, but it's going to be tough to watch all summer, watching the Lakers complain and cry. It's going to be frustrating for me, but they're sticking around. I don't think they're going down too quickly. Clippers and Mavs. We saw this in the bubble last year. Luka made it a series. He was ridiculous. And from the looks of it, last night, Luka's going to make it a series again. I mean, what he does is just remarkable. And it's insane because even with George and Kawhi being the two guys who are tasked to guard Luka Doncic, he's still putting up triple doubles and crazy shots and points and just making everything work for that offense. Porzingis was good, which I didn't expect necessarily. And this is what happens with the Clippers. This is what they do. They're so pathetic. They lose games so that they could avoid the Lakers. And then they come out like this in game one. Kawhi's still a beast. I think Paul George didn't even play that bad. Playoff P, pandemic P, whatever you want to call him. People like to hate on him. They weren't even that bad. It was just this team. I don't know how much they care. They seem discombobulated. There's no team chemistry. They're the opposite of the Knicks. They have talent. They have big names. They just have nothing to them. And I think Ty Lue is a downgrade from Doc Rivers. And I don't know. I think the Clippers will win this series. But it's hard to pick them after seeing the Mavs last night. I mean, that's that's really the bottom line in the series. That's all there is to talk about. It's going to be a fun series. It was a fun series last year in the bubble. I think it's a fun series again. There's not much to it. Jazz in Memphis. First of all, congrats to John Morant. He was awesome when he needed to be in the two play-in games, especially the second one late against the Warriors, matching up with Steph Curry. He was the bigger superstar in that game. And props to him. Now, of that draft class, the 2019 draft, two of the first three picks are in the playoffs. That's R.J. Barrett, and John Morant, only guy not, is the first overall pick, Zion Williamson. I think the Jazz will win this series, ultimately. I don't think Memphis is that good. The fact that they beat the Warriors and the Spurs doesn't mean a lot to me. The Spurs were free-falling. The Warriors have no team beyond Steph Curry. And I think the Jazz, at least for this round, will prove that the regular season was legit. I think they can win in five. But how deep can the Jazz actually go is the bigger question. I think this should be a pretty easy series for them, but also a good test to see what they can actually do. Next series is going to be where it gets tough. All right, that wraps it up for the eight series. Let me give you a couple predictions that I think might work out for these playoffs. First of all, I think it's going to be a net Sixers conference finals. And it's going to be fun. Thibel and those guys trying to defend the three superstars on the Nets. Thibel's an excellent defender. Obviously, Ben Simmons is maybe the best, probably the best. I shouldn't say maybe. He's the best 
perimeter defender in the league. Will Embiid step up for three straight series? That would be the third straight. Can he be the superstar that he's been all season when healthy and be the superstar this team needs him to be in order to beat a team like Brooklyn? That's going to be fun. And I think that's what the conference finals will be. I think Denver plays the Lakers in the second round. And again, we saw that in the bubble last year. And we've seen their games have always been close. That should be a fun series. And the winner should probably go to the finals. That's my prediction. If Denver and the Lakers play each other, and Denver didn't look great last night, and it's unclear how much they'll miss Jamal Murray. But that's a fun series. We saw the Lakers really put Denver in the pick and roll last year, just over and over again. They start with LeBron like on the wing and AD picks for him, or the opposite, the LeBron AD pick and roll, and put Jokic in the pick and roll, was tough for Denver to defend. That's where the Lakers really crushed them. I think the winner of that series should go to the finals, but that's going to be the conference semifinals. That's the second round. That being said, I don't think Denver has enough consistent scoring. So if it's Portland, we also saw them against the Lakers in the bubble last year, but that wasn't even a series last year. Here's my number one thought, though. And it's really two thoughts, because I think the favorites to go to the finals are Brooklyn and the Lakers. And so I have a thought about each team. Is Brooklyn just way too talented not to win? Brooklyn has so much scoring, so much talent, just oozing out of everywhere. And the answer in the NBA is almost always yes. When a team just has that much talent, even if they don't have the chemistry, even if they can't keep it together, or they sometimes just look at each other and they hate each other or whatever it is, they don't have the team, they don't have the defense, this, that. Sometimes they just have way too much talent to not win. We've seen that in the NBA all the, all the time. But that's why you got to play the games. That's why sports is awesome because there's the human aspect. And we could predict anything. If this was on paper... Brooklyn runs away with this championship. They have so much more talent than any other team in the league. Far more talent than any other team in the league. It's not even close. But that's why you got to play the games. And the question is, can the Lakers repeat? That's the question for the Lakers. AD said he's got nothing to prove. I doubt LeBron feels the same way. I don't know why AD feels like that. He won one championship in a bubble in a weird season. I don't know. I think... The way they played in that first half and really those first three quarters of the game against the Warriors, they should have been out already. They should have lost to the Warriors and had to play a second game against Memphis. That's how bad they were. It's all mental. They turned it on in the fourth quarter. But they shouldn't have even had the opportunity to turn it on in the fourth quarter if the Warriors would have put them away like I thought they should have. So the fact that the Lakers are in this playoff situation alone is I mean I guess they would have made it against Memphis but still that team just seemed totally disinterested and mentally not there the first three quarters of that game and I wonder when I when when we're going to see them turn the switch on and if they care to if your second to best player your 1A superstar says he has nothing to prove in a game that I think is very mental and a guy who's seems to be getting hurt on every play of every game I don't know how far they can go that way. Anyway, that's all I got for the NBA. Um, it should be fun. I'm going to enjoy it as a Knicks fan, but I'm gonna also going to enjoy it as a basketball fan. I'm going to try not to let the Knicks get me down too much when eventually they do lose, whether it's the first or second round. And I'm just going to try and enjoy it. Uh, I do have an addendum 
for my last podcast about baseball. So I'm going to put that here coming up right now. An addendum to last episode about baseball and what's wrong with it. I talked last episode. If you didn't listen to it, go back and listen. It's good. If you're a sports fan and not a baseball fan, you should definitely listen to it. If you're a baseball fan, you should also definitely listen to it. So basically go listen to it. But I talked about the direction of the sport and the three true outcomes that batters are looking for and the different people running the game today. I think there's actually a weird positive that could be spun from it. Last week, we saw two no-hitters on, I think it was Tuesday night, that Corey Kluber threw a no-hitter. And watching that as a Yankee fan, a guy who battled back after back-to-back seasons that he was hurt, a guy who was once a Cy Young to get his first ever no-hitter was awesome to see. And as a Yankee fan, I haven't seen a no-hitter in my lifetime. The last time it happened was 1999. I was just a kid, so I don't remember it. And so to me, that was really fun. I It didn't lose its lust. I was watching the game anyway. It wasn't like, I was like, oh, tell your friends. I'm turning on the game to watch it because it's late in the game. It's a no-hitter. No, I was watching the full game and he had really good stuff that game and he was one walk away from a perfect game. He faced 28 batters. So yeah, it's impressive. <laughs> what he did was really impressive. But the fact that the night before, a guy whose name I can't even pronounce on the Tigers, maybe Thrumble or whatever, threw a no-hitter. And when I got the alert, sixth inning, no hitter, seventh inning, no hitter, eighth inning, no hitter, I didn't even care to look. Just tells you how far we've gotten. And I think a lot of people agree with me. Everyone talks about the no hitters and everyone talks about what's going on around the league. And you still are happy for the guys. There's still like a feeling, a sensation of, wow, that's great. That's still an accomplishment. But we're going to break the record. We've had six no hitters this year already. Would be seven with the seven inning no hitter that Madison Bumgarner threw. That's another guy who, you know, everyone was already bashing that contract and saying Arizona's ridiculous. He's done. So you're happy for him. But Don Mattingly was asked about this. And he said, listen, sometimes the game is just impossible to watch because guys just don't put the ball in play. And this is coming from a guy who's a huge baseball guy. He's the manager of the Marlins. was a Yankee great. And he's a big name in the league. It's not just anyone. It's Donnie Baseball. That's his nickname. And he was saying some of his friends just don't even watch baseball anymore because it's so boring. Guys are just hitting, trying to swing for the fences and they just swing and miss. So many strikeouts or they're looking to walk and they get struck out looking or they walk. But walks and strikeouts and even home runs are not fun anymore. Everyone knows the way this started was, hey, let's just try and get on, get walks so that the next guy can hit a 3 on home run. At the end of the day, when people put the ball in play, that's what makes the game fun. That's what sets the game in motion, and it becomes a fun product to watch. So why do I think this is a positive? First of all, a guy like Donnie Baseball speaking out on it is a big deal. The second thing is, we see batters are starting to complain, complaining about foreign substances and different things that pitchers are using as advantages. I don't think that's a problem. I think the pitchers should continue to dominate. You're given this opportunity to dominate. Do not take anything away from the pitchers if you're Major League Baseball. Do not remove the shift. Let them use these these substances, whatever it is that they're using. Let them use their analytics and stuff to keep doing what they're doing. The batters, it's on you to get better. And there's a simple fix for the batters. And the game has to know this. And I don't care if it takes a year, if it takes two years, if it takes three months. You have to know that the only way to fix this is to go back to basics and focus on making contact and putting the ball in play. 
And if you do that, then it combats everything. If you give in now, if Rob Manfred and company give in now and say, you know what, we're going to ban these substances. We're going to change the baseballs. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to make shifts illegal and all those things. Then you're giving in to the way the game's being played. And it's going to be the exact same game with guys just trying to hit for the fences. Maybe a few more dunks will fall in some ground balls to the right side, but it loses its strategy. You're just helping the batters out like out of pity. This is exactly where the game needs to be in order for it to improve at the point where players, coaches, legends like Don Mattingly are sitting there and saying, this is not good. The batters need to change. The pitchers keep doing what you're doing. And some of these guys are not as good as they actually are looking on paper. That's fine. The Seattle Mariners as a team are hitting under 200. That's insane. I talked about the strikeout rate. Another thing with the dinosaurs of the game, I thought Tony LaRusso would be good for the game. I thought he'd get a good young team, a lot of talent, and show them how to play the game the right way. Run bases, play defense, make contact, hit and run, stolen bases, all that stuff. But instead, silly me. I don't know why I thought that. Instead, the true dinosaur side would come out of him only in a negative way. When they were up by God knows how many runs and a position player was pitching on the mound against them and their batter swung 3-0 and hit a home run. And he said, yeah, his batter, my own batter shouldn't have swung. And then when his batter got thrown at the next game, he's like, yeah, he should have been thrown at. What? The way everyone came out, including current baseball managers and teams, just saying how crazy that is that Tony La Russa said that was good to see. So it's good to see that the game is moving in the right direction in that sense. Losing the dinosaur stuff that's bad for the game and also realizing that the super new age things that are bad for the game are also not good. So to see some common sense in the game and the fact that it's gotten this bad this far over the last few years, that it's really just so many strikeouts and it's so dumb to watch, that's good for the game. Now it's possible that maybe someone will step up and make a change. And it's going to have to slowly trickle league-wide and it may take a couple of years. But don't change the rules now. You're headed in the right direction if you just keep at it. And players are just going to have to adjust. That's what we've always seen. That's what's great about sports. When everyone started shooting threes in the NBA, the same thing happened. When you start running option plays in football or you know, spread out offense, shotgun offense, it happens in every single league, every single sport. And the players and the coaches and the people, what they do is they adjust. And I think the fact that it's been such a bad product is going to force teams to adjust, not because the product's bad, because in the past, the product's been bad the last few years, but it wasn't conducive, but at least it was conducive to winning, hitting home runs. You saw the Dodgers won the World Series doing that. Now it's not even conducive to winning anymore. Now's the time when you have to just let it go a little bit longer and teams are going to change it for their own good so that they could start winning ballgames. There are still some great things in baseball, so I want to end with a positive. And Jacob deGrom. Jacob deGrom was sent down to a minor league rehab assignment for the Port St. Lucie Mets. They are their high A ball, single A team. And it's one thing when you have a major league player coming down to do his injury rehab on your team. It's another thing when it's a generational talent like Jacob deGrom, a pitcher the likes we've never seen in the last 30 years. And he went down there and they were playing against the Cardinals minor league affiliate. And it was just fun to see the Cardinals Twitter. Like someone sent help. Jacob deGrom is throwing 102. He ended up facing 10 hitters. 
throwing only 41 pitches, striking out eight of them. One guy reached on an error, another guy reached, reached on, uh, or didn't reach, but was thrown out on a ground ball. <laughs> That's insane. He does that in the major leagues, though, so no one should be shocked. I mean, heck, uh, Ron, Carlos Rondon did that to the Yankees in the first three innings the other day. So not that crazy, but at the same time, it was fun to watch the Twitter going back and forth. The Mets ended up winning that game 7 nothing, and the uh, Cardinals Twitter wrote, now the Mets give Jacob DeGrom run support, which I thought was even funnier than the other tweet. So good job by DeGrom, who ended up taking out the whole team to uh, Chick-fil-A after the game. Uh, so good to see still some fun, good stories in baseball. And I think the game is headed in the right, right direction. Enjoy NBA playoffs. Uh, my Yankees, since we're talking about baseball, they've been actually really fun because they've been winning games without having to score too many runs or having to hit too many home runs. They've been piecing together some nice innings where they get gappers and line drive hits. So maybe we're starting to see that trend already with a team that is a, a team that's supposed to be a championship there and they don't want to lose that window because they are doing things the wrong way. So it's good to see out of the Yankees. They're still making too many outs on the bases, but the defense has also improved. Um, and so I'm sure we'll get into that all summer long, but right now NBA playoffs, playoff basketball, and I'll see you guys next time. Oh, one more thing. Sorry. I almost forgot. <laughs> I won't see you guys next time. I will see you guys next time, but, um, Next time will hopefully be Wednesday night again. I like to do that, but I think I'm going to do it after the Knicks game um, because the Knicks play on Wednesday night, depending on what happens in the games, if there's any crazy storyline, I don't see why I can't wait till after the next game to record. So it's probably going to be Wednesday night after the next game. Um, and that's going to be that. All right. See ya.
Take it with 